Democrats have held the Senate, but Republicans clinched the House this week, setting off a seismic shift within that chamber's leadership. To discuss that and more, we turn to the analysis of Capehart and Abernathy. That is Washington Post associate editor Jonathan Capehart and his Post colleague Gary Abernathy. David Brooks is away tonight. And welcome to you both. A busy week, a busy Friday even, and I want to start with the news just today. Jonathan, you have the Attorney General of the United States appointing a special counsel to investigate a former president. It's an extraordinary moment. And I wonder as you watch the way he did it and the person he appointed, what does all of this say to you about how the Department of Justice is viewing this? Well, one, this is huge news. Two, to your question, how the Justice Department is viewing this, they view this as a significant, um, well, significant cases that need to be looked into by a significant person in American life, in American political life, a former president who just announced he's seeking the Republican nomination for the next presidential cycle, which the attorney general said was the, was the thing that happened that um, necessitated this move. Right. And I think it should say to the American people, one, and I think also the attorney general also announced, yeah, we have been investigating, but we're taking this so seriously that we're giving it to a special counsel uh, who is little, quite literally out of the Justice Department. I mean, he's over at The Hague, mm -hmm. if, if memory serves. And this person will be in charge of running the rest of the investigation. Um, it, it, it is an attempt by the Justice Department, by the attorney general, to give the American people confidence <clears throat> that the investigations are being done fairly and being done impartially in that no, no favor is being given or taken away from, uh, from Donald Trump. Gary, as part of this work, they're going to determine if there is sufficient evidence to bring criminal charges. If there are criminal charges, do you think former President Trump should still run for office? Well, um, um, you know, Merrick Garland has been under tremendous pressure to do more, to take a more aggressive stance uh, in these investigations by a lot of folks on the left. And, uh, you know, this is an escalation of that. Um, the only thing, you know, I, I feel bad for the American people, frankly, because much like the Mueller investigation, we're in now for day after day of headlines uh, and, and, and commentary and speculation and, and breaking news and leaks about you know what the special pro what special counsel is investigating and which direction it's going and what it means for us all and and uh, and that's too bad not to not to say this wasn't a proper step Amna but it would be nice if if the prosecutor could do his work and then announce um, later what he's found without all the speculation and headlines in between but we know from Mueller and the Russia report how this is going to play out you know. We know that um, uh, the, the Post reported just a couple of days ago that Justice doesn't really think that, that uh, uh, Trump had these uh, unclassified documents or these classified documents, I'm sorry, at Mar-a-Lago because of any uh, interest in trying to profit from them or any nefarious reason other than he thinks they're his. Well, he's wrong, but, um, but that's not a real strong legal case, I think, to make against him. And the same with January 6th investigation. We've, we've seen an awful lot of things come out in the January 6th committee, nothing that really seems to rise to the level of criminality, but people will disagree about that. We'll see what, 
what comes out with it. But should he, should he keep running if he's charged? I don't know. But if there's a way to bring Trump's base back to him just mm -hmm. at a moment when it seems like maybe they had reason to separate, this is the type of thing that seems to do just that. Jonathan, I see you yeah. scribbling furiously. <laughs> Gary, Gary, Gary said people disagree. I'm going to disagree. Please. One, um, I, I know yeah. that, our, that our paper said that you know, investigators think that President Trump took the papers not for any monetary um, uh, uh, advancement, but because he just wanted to have them. It's still illegal. Those papers did not belong to him. They do not belong to him. They belong yeah. to the American people, which is why there are laws against taking classified material. Um, to your point, uh, to the point about leaks happening, mm. this is not a, a bad th day for the American people because a special counsel was appointed. This is a fantastic day because it tells the American people that, that the gears of justice are grinding on Donald Trump in the sense that he is not above the law. He is at some is being held accountable through the special counsel process. And if the special counsel says, you know, there's no, we, we don't have enough to indict him, well, at least the American people will know and the evidence will be laid out whether you know, the reasons why or why not. The one thing that's different between this special counsel and, and what happened with Robert Mueller is that we have an attorney general who, when he gets this, gets this report, he's not going to hold on to it recast it in a way that it mischaracterizes what the report actually says and then releases it long after the narrative has been baked and it's it, almost impossible to tell the American people, even show the American people, what really happened. Gary, when you look at Republican leadership, though, and you have talked about there being more leaders willing to break with President Trump, especially recently. You're coming off the midterms, right, where uh, Republicans did recapture the House, but really underperformed, failed to get to the Senate, largely because of Trump-backed candidates. Do you think Republicans continue to stand by him as this probe now moves forward? I don't think Republican leaders so much will coalesce back around him. Um, no, I could be wrong. I've been wrong about that before. But I think that what I'm talking about are the grassroots Republicans mm -hmm. out there, you know, in, in Trump land, Trump world across the country, um, who are looking at DeSantis, looking at uh, uh, other candidates who uh, might be good alternatives now, especially, you know, based on the performance of the midterms in part, but also in the part on Trump bizarrely attacking uh, Ron DeSantis, calling him desanctimonious the other, you know, a few days before the election, which just seems strange. But now, you know, it just seems like any time Trump comes under attack, um, the base kind of wraps themselves back around him again to like a wall of protection. And this is exactly the type of thing that that could cause that. We'll see if, if it's to what degree that may happen. We will see. We will see. I want to get to Congress now because there's a lot of shifts going on there right now. And Jonathan, as we move into this next Congress, you've got a lot of activity on the Democratic side. You have mm -hmm. Speaker Pelosi stepping down, a huge generational shift, right? Hakeem Jeffries announcing his bid for leadership. Yesterday, as Pelosi was addressing her colleagues, she said this, for me, the hour has come for a new generation to lead the Democratic caucus that I so deeply respect. I'm grateful that so many are ready and willing to shoulder this awesome responsibility. At the same time, Jonathan, Republicans are now taking control. Mm -hmm. We have a divided Congress. What is ahead? Is it gridlock? Is there possibility for shared goals? There's, a, there's always a possibility for shared goals. Whether that will happen <laughs> remains to be seen, and I don't think, I, no. Uh, let me deal with um, Speaker Pelosi first. 
Um, I agree with President Biden when he said that she was, quote, the most consequential speaker in history. And there's no denying that. You look at what she has been able to do as Speaker of the House, most notably getting the Affordable Care Act passed through the House without a single Republican vote. Every time I've interviewed Speaker Pelosi and I'm talking to her about the machinations of the House and whether something is going to, whether she's going to be able to get something over the finish line, she will always say, I got the ACA through without a single Republican vote. Mm -hmm. uh, that, is, that is a huge accomplishment, and I think millions of Americans are very happy that she was able to do that. The other thing I want to note is that Speaker Pelosi, while well, she says, you know, it's time, the hour has come for the next generation, she's been bringing that next generation along since 2018 in the sense that, remember, she promised when the Democrats retook the House that she would, you know, stay for a finite period of time. Mm -hmm. But what did she do? Catherine Clark was assistant speaker. Hakeem Jeffries was in the leadership. Pete Aguilar, I believe, was a deputy whip to uh, whip Clyburn. The, the old three and the new three have been working together for years now. And the fact that each one of them today, or late yesterday, announced that they were running for leadership positions, each one, um, uh, Jeffries for Pelosi, Clark for Hoyer, Aguilar for, for Clyburn, yeah. shows that this is a, for Democrats in disarray, we're always like Democrats are in disarray, this is probably going to be one of the smoothest transitions of power within the Democratic caucus, yeah. perhaps ever. Well, I'll, leave, I'll leave Gary to talk about what's I happened over on the I do want to talk about side. the Republican transition. <laughs> Let's talk about that, Gary, right? You've got... Some Republicans, like Marjorie Taylor Greene, saying our priority is to investigate. We want to look into Hunter Biden. We want to look into the FBI search at Mar-a-Lago. You have other new members coming in and saying, you know what, that's not my priority. I, I was elected to fix uh, inflation, gas prices, and so on. How does a leader, any leader, maybe Kevin McCarthy, likely Kevin McCarthy, how do you hurt everyone the same direction in that caucus? Yeah, it's not easy. Uh, you know, Omna and Jonathan... Um, Republicans got elected because they campaigned on how bad inflation was, how high gas prices were, that we need to uh, address the southern border. And one of the first things they do is, is hold a press conference and talk about the, the Hunter Biden uh, hearing, investigation, uh, opening. You know, I, I mean, that's a legitimate investigation, in my opinion. And there are some other legitimate investigations. But keep in mind, that's not why you got returned to control of the House, as narrow as it's going to be. So focus, at least publicly, on the things that you campaigned on, that you're going to tackle those things. Because if you don't, uh, you're not going to be there uh, for very long. It's, it's going to be a very short time before the Democrats will return back to power. So hopefully, you know, one, one item, I think, of, of agreement that they could look at and start working on together would be the immigration problem, Amna. I think that both sides have a, have a stake in fixing that, and certainly we have a humanitarian reason to fix that, you know, for the people coming across the border. I think that if, if people would get serious, including the president, and say, you know what, we do need to, to uh, tighten our, our security at the southern border, we need to do something uh, that's some kind of a path to citizenship for folks who are already here, mm -hmm. let's get serious for the first time in 15 or 20 years and sit down and it's going to take compromise on both sides. I think that's an area that's worth trying to say, can we bring both sides together and do something about 
the immigration issue? I think there's a lot of consensus on both sides. <laughs> immigration absolutely needs to be fixed. I, I want to come to both of you quickly, though, uh, before we go, um, just to end this week. If you'd like to say something about uh, a man who has sat at this table, mm -hmm. uh, your colleague, the late Michael Gerson. I, I know you both know him, know his work, and, and I'd like to give you each an opportunity to say something. So, so Amna, I, I didn't know Michael personally. The most time I spent with him was at this, was at this desk, mm -hmm. um, but I did get to know him through his writing. And in going back and reading some of his writing, I came away believing writing was a calling for him. And his writing called us to higher ideals. Um, he always talked to our what we have in common, even if we are on opposite sides of the ideological spectrum. He, he had conviction, passion, compassion, um, and that is what I'm going to miss the most, his voice. Gary, what about you? Yeah, no, I would agree 100% with, with Jonathan. Um, Michael was a guy who wrote with empathy and deep intelligence. Uh, you know, I consider my, he was an evangelical Christian and I consider myself one too. And even when I didn't, you know, there were disagreements about how evangelicals dealt with Trump and so on. This is a guy who wrote very personally uh, he wrote with great uh, empathy and great, you know, when you came away reading him, mm -hmm. whether you agreed with what he was writing or not, you came away thinking there's something deep and thoughtful there to think about. It's, it's a voice we're going to miss. We will indeed. And I can't think of a better note on which to end this conversation and the week. My thanks to both of you, Gary Abernathy and Jonathan Capehart. Thanks, Amna.